0: Hey friends, this week we've got a throwback episode for you. I'm going to be re-sharing this episode from about two years ago, because it's one of my all-time favorite conversations that I've ever had here on Girlfriends with Jessica Tomey, who's a contributor at CatholicMom.com, and this was one of the first times I got to actually sit down and just kind of dive deep into some important topics with her. You know, one of the most fun things about getting to record this podcast every week and have people on is that... I have an excuse, a built-in excuse, and I can say I'm doing work, um, to just be checking in with people, to be connecting with people, to get a chance to have some really important conversations with people that I really respect and admire, living out faith lives either similar to mine or very different from mine, but there's always something that I can take away that's encouraging or inspiring or just teaching me more about the ways that God is always calling all of us closer to Him. So Sometimes those conversations just sit in the archives, and this podcast has grown so much, especially in recent months, that some of you may not have heard this conversation at all. So I want to give you an opportunity to take a listen right here in this week's Throwback episode. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, I'm talking with author Jessica Tomey about her new book coming out about living an embodied Catholic faith. What does that mean? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Girlfriends. I am excited to be welcoming a special guest here on Girlfriends today. Jessica Tomey is joining me. Jessica is a Catholic convert, a wife, a mom, a writer, communication scholar, and professor and homeschooler. That is a lot of hats. (laughs) And she also (laughs) blogs at jessicatomey.com. That has a sneaky P in there. So we will have uh, the... Link to that in the show notes so you can make sure to get there, Jessica, P-T-O-M-E-Y.com. She is author of Home in the Church, Living an Embodied Catholic Faith, and her research in Interfaith Dialogue has been published in the Journal of Communication and Religion. She's also co-host with her husband, Mike, of the Catholic Reading Challenge podcast. Welcome, Jessica. I'm so excited you're here on Girlfriends.
1: Thanks, Danielle. I love listening, so it's very exciting to be here.
0: chat with you. Yeah, we love that. I love it when someone who's a listener can become a participant in this way. So wonderful to have you joining us. Just to get us started and introduce our listeners to you just a little bit, can you share with us a little bit about your family and then a little bit about how you came to be involved in Catholic ministry?
1: Sure. Well, my husband and I, like you said, are Catholic converts. We actually came into the church together um, about seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And at the time we had a Gosh, we had a new baby. So we have a three-month-old and a two-year-old. And they okay. were both basically we had a small little mass and we had, you know, had confirmation, first communion. Like we had the whole thing. Obviously, we were already baptized. We came in right. from Protestant tradition. But we had confirmation and first communion. And our two boys were baptized. And um, their godparents were there who were also our sponsors. It was really beautiful. Um, it was at this beautiful church down here. We live in outside of in the suburbs of DC, holy Com. St. Cyprian. And um, Father uh, Monsignor Charles Pope was was the one who did it. He was the pastor there. And he oh kind gosh. of did some, yeah, some private like RCIA for us because my husband was uh, in theology kind of for a long time contemplating. He was a high school teacher, but also contemplating for a long time, maybe, maybe preaching and kind of ministry. Um, and then all of that kind of led to discovering the Catholic Church and realizing that we were coming in. So we had a lot of theology under our belts, and we mm-hmm. had read a lot. And we kind of, by the time we decided to jump in, we kind of already knew knew a lot. So we really just it was like April, and we we didn't want to wait a whole year to come into the church again. So one senior pope was really awesome, and <laughs> and uh, he was like, you know, I don't see any reason for us to wait. Let's just let's just expedite this here. I think you all are ready. So we oh had gosh. some meetings with him and it was great. So, um, but now we have four kids. So yeah. we have another, uh, a third boy, um, Sam, who's now five. And then we have, um, so our oldest is now nine. And then we have a little girl who's two and a half. So, Wow! Yeah, so um, busy times, busy years. <laughs> yeah, busy years, but it's really good years. So, um, so yeah, it's hard to believe that that was seven years ago. And I, my husband and I both met in journalism school. We're both getting our masters in journalism. He was kind of in both the theology program and and in journalism, and we met there. And so, I, I've always been sort of in communication. I went on to get my PhD in communication studies, and I'm a college professor for communication studies. Um, but been a writer really ever since graduate school. I just always. Knew I was supposed to write. Didn't know I was going to be writing sort of half memoir about the conversion <laughs> one day, but um, started blogging as maybe a couple of years before we even became Catholic. So started writing that way a little bit. And then, really, after becoming Catholic, I kind of got connected with um, Lisa Hendy and I got connected with Catholic Mom through her and started blogging for Catholic Mom. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of because that kind of naturally came out of blogging on my blog. And so a lot of the things I wrote about really were appropriate for the Catholic mom audience. So that's, uh, and then that this book has been kind of several years in the making, I guess. Yeah. So
0: let's transition (laughs) to that a little bit. Um, so this book, I mean, this idea that you kind of dive into in the book, this idea of living for heaven, can we, let's talk about what do you mean by that? And, um, how does the church help us do that? How, How do you approach that in the book?
1: Gosh, it's been a personal journey for me. And I love that when, um, I mean, obviously I think that's what God is often doing when he puts something on people's hearts to write, he's really Mm -hmm. doing something in your heart. Well, he's always doing something in each of our hearts. Right. And I think the purpose is to share that with other people. We all have different platforms in which we're supposed to share. Mm -hmm. And I just think this is one of mine that I was supposed to write this book that kind of was part conversion story, but also part, Hey, even for those of you who aren't maybe on this conversion journey, maybe you're on a reversion journey. Maybe you're you're looking into yeah I'm already catholic but I don't think I'm really like I've deep dived into how that tra- like that transitional living of really living for heaven and sure. really living in the church like the way I'm really meant to be and for me it was um becoming catholic was just like part one of the journey and then since then there've been so many moments where I said oh lord thank god I'm catholic right now mm-hmm. um and as far as really living for heaven, I feel like I actually share this story in the book. Recently, uh, the Christian Broadcasting Network covered it. Is our son Sam, our third son, was really a miracle story? He was not supposed to make it in vitro past really? twenty weeks. He was four weeks behind in growth. So they basically they told me, you know, we're going to keep coming back to do ultrasounds just to see when the heartbeat stops. Oh my god! Long story short, I share the whole story in the book. Total complete miracle unexplained medically and he's a healthy, happy, vibrant five-year-old, but walking through that very dark experience and the possibility of all that that entailed was, and it was certainly an impetus to start thinking about, okay, whether we have, you know, a few weeks in utero or we have 77 years on this earth or whatever, we're all like eternity is our future. Mm -hmm. Heaven is our future. And how are we supposed to be living here to practice for that? And how does, what does the church offer us? And so it's funny how those themes started intersecting with my conversion story. And I realized that it wasn't just a one-time conversion. It was this, for all of us, it's just this continual um, meeting of of that idea in our life Mm -hmm. of we're meant for heaven, we're created for heaven. And God's given us this practice field, you know, I mean, oh, happy fault, right? Like mm-hmm. we we would love to have stayed in the Garden of Eden, but that didn't work out. And my, my kids always <laughs> love that idea. They always hate Adam and Eve. We're always hating Adam and Eve. I know time. they have a a problem. I don't know if your kids. Yeah, Yo, oh, that, definitely. But, like, They're like, why they messed up the whole thing for everybody? Yeah, what? I know. My kids just love to say that as like, and then I remind them, I'm like, probably would have been you if, right. if if human history had allowed <laughs> that much time to go by, or me. And so, oh, happy fault, right? We ended up having this place to practice living for heaven and Christ, the incarnation, he came. And I mean, there's all, we just can look at what happened because of that. And mm-hmm. we have this home that we were really always meant to have.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That And that's the challenge though. I like that you talk about it being a continual conversion, right? Because yeah. I'm a cradle Catholic, but I can yeah. definitely relate to that, that I feel like God is always calling me deeper in Relationship with him in a deeper to a deeper understanding, or even not even calling me deeper. Of course, he's doing that, but sometimes I just keep getting distracted and need to be called back, and then called back, and then called back. You know, and how many times like have I, you know, read something or or just been inspired, you know, by teachings of the saints or teachings of the church, and be like, oh yeah, I I know this, right? But I'm not acting like I know this, right? Like that our day to day activities don't necessarily. Line up with the idea that we're living for heaven, that that's our goal, right? But we can get yeah. down this rabbit path and like you know all these nitty yes. details, all the distractions. and then all of a sudden we realize, what am I living for? Am I living for like my job or for my bank account or for my kid's status at school, or you yeah. know whatever it is that's pulling us away?
1: and my argument and some of the descriptions of this book on the back and like some of the write ups on Amazon and stuff, kind of highlight the fact that for the church in the modern world, this is a really important message. Um, yeah. I, actually, I actually think it's harder to live in the modern world than let's say the medieval times. I mean, yes, people like died of the plague and stuff, but mm-hmm. they were so much closer to grasping heaven and understanding like that mm-hmm. eternal reality because we have so many distractions that we have to constantly battle against in the modern world. So, so true. many of these <laughs> things that, that just detract us from what is actually real. Quite mm-hmm. honestly, I think most Catholics today I would, I include myself in this, like, we honestly have to sit and think, do I believe that, that the heavenly reality, the supernatural, the things that I can't see are actually the most real things because they are, they are more real than all the material things we see. And that's the shift I think that where the Holy spirit wants to get us, Mm -hmm. but that's, um, That's hard because we've got a lot working against
0: us. Yes. And sometimes you'll get a wake up call, right? Like, uh, you know, someone will suddenly die or something and you'll be like, oh, I need to be living like that could happen to me at any minute, because guess what? It could actually happen to me at any minute. Or, um, you know, maybe we'll have a a health crisis or a financial crisis, or you lose your job or, you know, all these these moments that kind of are kind of calling us to, you know, re-examine what our priorities are and remember what is most important. Um, But inside of the book, you talk about this idea of an embodied Catholicism. And I love that phrase. Can you just tell us a little bit about exactly what you mean by that?
1: I think it, like, um so the best way I could just des- describe it in the simplest terms, I should say, I would say a lived in faith, mm-hmm. a faith that's not just intellectual, but has made its way into your heart through the actions you take in your body on a daily basis, right? The rhythms that you engage in. We're very much, I mean, God created, like as Catholics, we understand properly that we're not just like disembodied souls, right? Right. And we have, it's very important that we say in the creed, like we're going to have these resurrected bodies. So Mm -hmm. our bodies are actually super important. What we do with them actually, and we know this now through modern brain science too, like what we do actually creates reality for us. What we do with our bodies, what we think about, what we practice, if you will. I think that's a good word to put in there, practice. Mm -hmm. And so the actual living in of our faith happens through those physical behaviors that we engage in whether it's loving through the senses, like loving others, which is an action, right? It's not just an emotion we feel. Prayer, spending quiet time, meditating and mm-hmm. contemplating God and existence. So really all of the spiritual exercises, practices, sacraments that the church offers us and has through the centuries are very embodied practices. You know, we mm-hmm. think about, especially we think about the sacraments. And I think there is there has been a pull in the modern church, away from some of the weirdness of Catholicism, which is not really a good thing, I think right. that we kind of want to embrace that a bit more than we have and realize, yeah, we, we have a host that we take and we eat, yeah, and that's the body of Christ. So that's the most embodied thing I can probably imagine is letting Christ putting Christ inside of my body, right? If right. We think about if we think about that, but living our faith out in that way and that the way that we actually live and move and have our being in this world, um, rather than this just intellectual thing. Like I believe X, Y, and Z, but it doesn't seem to you know break the brain barrier of like a thought into like into the way I behave in the world with mm-hmm. others and with myself and with God.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point because I think that's something that we tend to do. Maybe is compartmentalize things, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know I've had st- stages in my life where it's like that. Like Sunday, I go to church. And, uh-huh. You know, Monday morning I'm I'm doing something else. You know, I'm focused on something yes. else. And that doesn't necessarily you're doing anything contrary to the teachings of the church, but maybe not keeping those same priorities in place where um and, and I love that you talk about the the weirdness of- Yeah, <laughs> because it totally is, right? Like, what are you talking about? Sometimes yeah, yeah. we might feel in the modern world, like, okay, this is weird to describe this to somebody, but yeah, I I'm eating the body of Christ, like eating God like that. But the incredible intimacy that yes. that describes yes. is a beautiful thing. And there, there's so much that we can gain from thinking more about that or, or from incorporating more of our, our faith in every moment of our
1: days. Yes. Um, so I actually think that's super important. I mean, I think yeah. that whole idea of living liturgically on a daily basis mm-hmm. is vital, and that that's really who we, we're liturgical beings. Like we we need um, those daily liturgies, uh, both personal and both private and corporate. Right, mm-hmm. we need those with um, ourselves alone with God, but with our, our families and also within our communities and parishes. We need yeah, those. Well, let's talk about that. Like, what do you yeah. mean
0: by that? Someone listening right now is like, "Oh my gosh, she's giving me another to do." Now <laughs> I need to be checking off the box liturgically living each day. But um, talk in practical terms, what does that look like?
1: You know, I think one of the most important ones that we could get a lot more out of is is really um, has to do with living the saints' days. And mm-hmm. really celebrating them. And I think sometimes we celebrate them again intellectually. Like we'll read a saint story. And maybe we're even great up like we'll read this, you know, the saint story on the day of their feast. <laughs> you know, I mean, we do yeah. have that habit in our home of, of reading these short little family appropriate saint stories, you know, in our and we have this lovely collection at, at lunchtime with my mm-hmm. kids. And so we'll read the saint for the day. Um, but sort of entering in beyond just taking an in intellectual information, you know, the catechism tells us. That the saints are like they're closer to us than I think. Getting getting rid of that idea that there's like this barrier between us and those who are in heaven around the throne of God. They're Mm -hmm. praying for us and they're singing for us. But also, we understand that they their lives are examples to us of how we're to live. So we not only get to ask for them to pray for us, but the act. Of following their example, just like we follow someone's example who just did something really well and we want to imitate them. Mm-hmm. I think there's actually like the holiness and embodied faith of following that example of a saint. Like live the way that person lived, is a huge, should be a huge part of liturgical living. When I say liturgical living, I just mean a practice behavior on a regular basis throughout the year. You know, like this mm-hmm. is say St. Catherine of St. well, today we have Saints Cornelius and Cyprian on the day right. they we're recording this and um they were martyrs in like in, in the third century and they went they lived during times of incredible disunity but how amazing do we have any disunity at this point in American Do <laughs> we <laughs> like, have anything maybe, but disunity <laughs> maybe, <just a> little <laughs> so I mean imagine that we can read their story look at the example of their lives both can both are martyrs um mm-hmm. and we can take into her, okay, we've got a, we've got a way to act. God's actually speaking through these people's lives and giving us a model of like, this is how I'd like you to behave. This is how I'd like you to bring unity to the body of Christ now in 2020. Wow, These people who were like hundreds of years ago, and they're actually right here, like with me, next to me, interceding for you and, and praying that you live out their example because they they made it, you know, they're here. And so like living more like that to where like, there's not this, they're actually closer than we think they are. They're they're like right there. I, I don't know if anyone's ever watched the um. This is so gonna this might be weird. <laughs> What's that Stranger Things show? Oh yeah, was, sure. Like, I only watched like the first season, but you know how in that show it's like. The people who are in the, what do they call it? The upside upside down. down. Yeah. They're like, they're literally right in the same room with them, but Mm -hmm. they can't see them. Right. Yes. Okay. It's a creepy, like kind of. No, you're giving me goosebumps
0: (laughs) because that show gives me goosebumps, but I, I, I like the parallel you're making. Go ahead.
1: But they're literally like right there. So like in a positive spiritual way, like we're going to think of like the saints and angels, they're literally right here in the same room with us. They're like, heaven's not this far off in the clouds thing. I think that's the important thing to remember. The Lord is with us and so are his saints. And so living like that and sort of taking like, that's one small, but actually not so small, pretty huge and significant way we can live the liturgical year. And throughout that cycle of celebrating those 365 days of different saints who have done it, they've gotten there, they, right. They, they won their race. Right, and they they fought a the good fight. Um, that's pretty huge. I think that's transformational. Like we lived that way. Yeah, I think that would be. You don't need to do anything else. Like, I know, no, that's huge, and I think, that, and that I think you're right.
0: That we do put sort of a division, a false sense of division between ourselves and the saints um, sometimes. I, I know I've done this and you kind of like, you know, you think of them like on this pedestal and you think, oh, it's the saints and then there's me and my real life and what I have to deal with. Well, guess what? They had a real life and what they had to deal with, right? So I think it's important to remember that. And sometimes I'm encouraged when I'll I'll read a story of a saint and, and hear about, you know, some some virtue that they really struggled to attain or um, ways in which they, they were challenged and um, maybe even fell short sometimes. And before they got to that place. So like, we think that they're like, and we put them on this lofty pedestal and we know they're in heaven and we think they were always there, but no, they were walking the earth just like you and yeah. I are, had families, had jobs, had worries, had everyday things. But um, you're, you're, you're right that they're that beautiful example of they made it. And not only they made it, but they are present in our lives through the beautiful gift of the communion of saints that they're able yeah. to help us and intercede on our behalf. So we can lean not only on their example, but
1: also on their prayers. What a what a beautiful gift yeah. that is. Totally. And I think it's encouraging. Well, it's encouraging for all of us adults, but I know when I share that, when I read those stories to my kids and I'm like, wow, look at that. He was like a 10 year old or a nine year old, just like you. It That's pretty empowering. You're like, okay, he made hard choices, and i'm I'm struggling to obey my parents and do the right thing too, right, but that that guy did it like he right. actually did it and 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 he looks like it turned out well for him
0: <laughs> you know? so yeah, that's a great point, and I think that's a great way to talk to our kids about it as well, giving them those examples, not in a way that's discouraging, in a way that no. like everyone is called to be a saint. I think we need that reminder that the yeah. saints aren't some other thing, they're yeah. human beings. And um, they, many of them accomplished extraordinary things through the extraordinary gift of God's grace. So that for sure is one thing that I know I work on, just becoming more aware of the presence of, of the saints, but also the presence of God in our everyday lives. And I don't know if you do this or if you talk about this in the book, but one way that I found is really helpful is just so basic to just pray for that. Pray for that insight. Pray for like oh, God, yeah. show me where you're present in my life yes. today, in the people I'm gonna deal with, in the work I'm going to do, and in that phone call that I have to make or in this conversation right. with my kids or with my husband. Um, what what do you think about that?
1: I, I think that's huge. And actually I think that the I think divine providence actually answers that question for us. There's that book that um has been very popular some years it goes through even more popularity, um, uh by the priest Kassat, I uh divine pro oh my gosh the title is escaping me something to divine providence um but basically he's talking about um basically talking about living in the moment that you're living in what Mm -hmm. god has whatever is happening to you in life is his will for your life right then so we don't often have to look that far for god what do you ask me today in comes the crying screaming child who's hitting (laughs) her brother and pulling his hair oh all right i see (laughs) a tenderness a gentle reprimand, a mediator here between these two children of love, right? Um, right? Same thing, husband comes in bad mood and kind of not pleasant to be around. And <laughs> and you're kind of annoyed because you've had a big day, right? right. And, and you have the opportunity for an argument and the Holy Spirit is saying, well, this is happening to you. And if you take it as this is divine providence, this is like sacrament of marriage here, your path to heaven that I'm offering you can be the love that changes this person's heart, right? So it's so funny how, God, where are you present? The question of God, where are you present today can very quickly be answered once (laughs) we are willing to ask it, right? He's like, I'll show you in this moment of your life. Exactly. In
0: quite simple and surprising ways. Maybe, you know, I think sometimes we just make it more complicated than it needs to be, right? Like. Oh, this Holy. can't be God's will. Like this is too mundane. This is too messy. This isn't glamorous enough or whatever. This can't possibly be my calling. But I think you're so right. And I, I hope you will recall what that book is because I'm interested. And if you do, we'll put it in the show notes Yes, yeah, yeah. for this for this episode so people can check it out as well. But yeah, I find that just, that just that prayer practice, you know, every day at the start of your day, just ask God to show you where he's present. Ask God to show yeah. you the next right thing to do. And it can be as easy as that, right? That's how people yeah. become great saints is doing one right thing at a time. So I like the doableness of that. I think that's um, oh,
1: yeah. that's,
0: that's a good concept. Um, so, but we need to talk a little bit more about the story of your son that you say you share inside oh, yeah. of the book. So tell us a little bit about the intercession of saints in regard to that miraculous healing that you experienced with your son.
1: Yeah. Well, so in the book, I basically talk about, um, I kind of divide it up and the chapters are divided up in different sections, like, uh, ones on the worship of the mass. And so I kind of talk about embodied faith in these different aspects of the Catholic church. And the one where I share my personal experience of our journey with our son was in on the chapter on intercession, the intercession of the saints. Mm-hmm. We, um, I'll try to give you, keep it brief. There's more details in, in, in the book, but basically went in for that anatomical ultrasound where you find out the gender. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were curious about that. Obviously you're excited. Um, but basically we found out he was two weeks behind in growth. We have to come back two weeks later to kind of have, that's a, we kind of have to have a baseline for, well, what does that mean? That's mm-hmm. not, that's not good, but maybe our numbers are off, but no, our number, our weeks weren't off. So we come back two weeks later and it was worse. So he was now four weeks behind. My amniotic fluid was pretty low. Mm-hmm. And what the doctor had suspected was, in fact, the diagnosis. Your placenta is bad. It's not sustained, the baby. He also has one ventricle. Oh my goodness. Umbilical cord instead of three. And he's just not being sustained. And he's four weeks behind in growth, and that's enormous. And the heartbeat could stop at any time.
0: Okay.
1: And um you know, this might be a hard thing for some listeners who've been through loss of a child. Sure. Um, but basically at that point, because I was so far along, the baby would, would um, pass and I would be induced and go into labor and delivery. And um, to be quite honest with you, that was a moment of the most fearful experience of my life. I could not imagine giving death, giving birth to a dead baby. I just mm-hmm. was like, Lord, I, I can't imagine how terrible that would be. I think, Fear would probably be the the prominent emotion I could have described. Yeah. So we're facing this so suddenly. You know, you go from picking out names or making a list to calling funeral homes over the weekend. This was a Friday during Lent, like the coldest Lent, like winter we'd had in many years. Um, And every single ultrasound we had from that point forward was actually on a Friday. It was quite quite interesting. This is it was a really interesting Lent. Basically, that first week. After that weekend of, you know, kind of getting a lot of counsel, oh my gosh, like not only did I mean, like, I would just have to basically summarize for you that so much happened within such a short amount of time, but so many people praying, you know, Mm -hmm. not just what I came to find of the Heavenly Saints praying, but I, I came to find countless, we had no idea how many hundreds of people on earth were praying for us. Mm-hmm. It was quite remarkable. I mean, I had a friend call all the different nuns, like all the, uh, all the different like monasteries and, and, um, and groups of nuns that were like, they had 24 hour adoration listed. And like, you could just leave your prayer requests for them to be constantly praying. I mean, yeah. she's like, I'll just go to all of these websites and do the prayer requests. I mean, that's just one example. So there's so many people praying, but that after that first weekend, I just had the sense I was reading this pamphlet of this woman's miraculous healing from cancer. And I just had this sense, well, this the baby is still here. And Lord, I don't the only way I know how to pray is like the our father, thy will be done, but I'm asking you for something. And whatever your answer is, I am submitting to your will. But it's like Jesus in the garden. I felt that this was, you know, take this cup for me if it be thy will. Say, you know, I I my desire is to have this baby. So many things happened that week. I went to a healing mass. Um, with a local priest, Father Dan Leary. And at that mass, there were very sick people there. Mm -hmm. There were people with stage four cancer, children who had epileptic seizures, and they were all, it was a mass. And then afterwards, um, the um, adoration, and during adoration, all of these priests were praying for people. They had all these carpets up there and you could wait in line, kneel on the carpet before the Eucharist and be prayed for. It was a very powerful experience because as I knelt in my pew after I'd been prayed for, and really witnessed a lot of other people's suffering. I think being in touch with other people's suffering can help you in your own because you realize you're not alone. There's Mm -hmm. also quite frankly, people who have things worse than you, even though Mm -hmm. you're going through an awful experience that you couldn't possibly imagine facing. There is a grace in that. And God did a work of healing in my heart. He took the fear away and he made me at peace with whatever his will was for this baby. Um, and that's, I tell people that that is honestly the biggest miracle. Yeah,
0: honestly, I was going to say that's, that's the miracle right there.
1: And I try to be very clear with people that that is the miracle um, because whether or not he saved my baby is really not the most significant thing. And I think that was my journey to starting to understand what living for heaven really meant that if I have fear in this life of death or any experience of it, that's going to be a real barrier for me and to getting ready for heaven. So for me, that was a huge moment of healing. We go to the ultrasound at the end of that first week and nothing was worse. And the doctor seemed to be kind of surprised, but they couldn't take any measurements or anything because it'd only been a week. So from that, from that point on till the next Friday ultrasound, I actually really felt a greater desire to press into prayer. And I had started a, a novena to St. Gerard. Okay. I had been praying to blessed mother. Oh, and I should add this. This is a very important part of the intercession part. The initial day before we knew anything on that first ultrasound, where they're like something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. My husband went out to the waiting room at the end of the appointment, and I said, "I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll join you out there in a minute." I went in the door, locked the bathroom door, and just sort of stood there looking in the mirror. And I just thought of Mary. The Holy Spirit brought Mary and her yes, mm-hmm. and I very powerfully sensed God saying before you know what I'm asking you to walk through, I want you to give me your yes. Mm-hmm. Just like Mary. And I just asked for her intercession and said, okay, Lord. yes." I have no idea what is about to happen here, mm-hmm. but yes. So I definitely feel like her intercession was extremely powerful from that right. moment forward. Nine day Novena de Saint Gerard, which happened to, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly. end on that second Friday, we go into the ultrasound, Friday, right? And from that, that second week, I had started praying very specifically and asking people to pray with me two things that the baby would double in size that was supposed to be dying any day mm-hmm. and that the amniotic fluid would increase, which is like scientifically not possible. Okay. I, we go back on the Friday. And again, like I so said, like, I think school was delayed because of how cold it was. It was just so amazing. <laughs> the physical things that were mirroring our spiritual reality. We go in, they start the ultrasound. The tech kind of takes her quick measurements. The doctor comes in, obviously we're like kind of waiting with bated yeah. breath and he comes in and he's looking and he's like, I don't really know what to say. Um, the baby's doubled in size whoa and then I knew exactly what he was going to say I could have said it for him he's like and your amniotic fluid has increased oh my gosh and I mean I just it was a remarkable I mean to be at that moment witnessing and experiencing in your own body a miracle right. amazing incredible it was absolutely right. incredible and my husband was just sitting there just blown away both of us um as he knew that I had been praying for those specific things and the doctor says I don't have any explanation for you. Mm. And I said, I don't need an explanation. (laughs) We've had a lot of people praying for us. And he said, well, whoever is praying for you, could they pray for me too?
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. I mean, he was just blown away. Absolutely blown away. Um, And basically from that point out until they kept thinking he was going to be for sure premature, they gave me mm. the steroids for his lung development. There was a scare right after he would reached like viability because I got an infection, I had to be in the hospital. He went all the way full term. Wow. And the amniotic fluid by 38 weeks had gone all the way back up to normal measure. People mm, don't goodness. even know what to do about that wow it just doesn't regenerate it's itself just so powerful yes and he actually was so tiny when he was born because he had all this room to get i mean to give you an idea my other two boys were like nine four and nine two okay so he was five eight <laughs> okay tiny guy but then like a month later he'd gone up to the 50th percentile from like zero to 50 wow. it was amazing um so they entered like not until 38 weeks and he was full term i went in for the Weekly ultrasound. He's like, "Oh, your amniotic fluid's starting to go down again. We're going to induce you." And he was born perfectly wow. fine, perfectly healthy, unbelievable. But I um, and his middle name is Saint Gerard. Is Gerard <laughs> Saint Gerard Sam, Samuel Gerard. So I can one hundred percent tell people. I, I in the book I say, "Listen, intercession is a real thing. Prayer is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're struggling with prayer, it, you know, if if you really don't even believe that it." that it's real, you know, just do it out of faith. Just, just, I think God just give him that gift of like, I'll try this, I'm desperate, you know, realize that there are people and there are saints there in heaven who who are waiting to intercede for you. And it's a real thing. It is Mm -hmm. a real thing. And that doesn't mean, I really feel like I emphasize this to people. I have to emphasize this to people. Like I said, the biggest miracle was what God did in my heart because God Mm -hmm. doesn't always heal us, okay? And I know that there's that woman listening who's like, that's really nice for you that your baby was healed. Mine's not, and I'm really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get the miracle that I was hoping for. Sure, but that's not the most important miracle. I mean, it's a gift. I am so glad he's alive. But I know for myself spiritually that him simply being alive, he'll die one day. Every mm-hmm. everybody's gonna die, whether he died in utero or he lived, you know, his seventy-five plus years or whatever. Right? We're all gonna die one day. So the biggest miracle that happened are not that people get healed. Physically, but mm-hmm. they, what does Jesus always do when in the, in, in, you know, in, in the gospels, your sins are forgiven, yeah. you know, rise and walk, right. What's the more important thing thing there. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, that we don't lose sight of that, that God does these, these he does come in and he, in, it, you know, intersects with our lives and times causes these physical healings, but he always is more interested in our spiritual healing because that's the eternal, that's right. the eternal part. Right. He wants right? what's best for us. And yes. Sometimes that is going to involve
0: suffering though. I'm glad you mentioned that there are people who are listening who are suffering. I mean, our world is suffering, people in individual ways and global ways, living through this time of COVID that's causing new forms of suffering, physical, financial health-wise, you know, emotional anxiety, all of these things. So let's talk a little bit about that, that how does the church bring us peace? How can the church bring us peace when we're suffering? Like, that's the big question that, you know, I hear from people all the time. Like, yeah, Jesus said he was going to answer all our prayers. Well, he's not answering mine and yeah. I'm, I'm having trouble. I'm frustrated. I'm suffering through this very hard thing. So, um, yeah, can you just solve all of the world's problems for me here, Jessica? <laughs> explain this, no, but but maybe just share a little bit of perspective on suffering, on what it means and, and how, how God really wants to give us freedom and to give us peace, even through the suffering that we might have to endure.
1: I think in my journey of becoming Catholic and as a Catholic, I've come to see, I've been come to be very grateful to be in the church because the Catholic church is really all about suffering, if you will. We look at that mm-hmm. crucifix and we see that our Lord suffered that he suffered before, before us, um, that he took on our pain. And it's, um, the embrace of the cross is a very mysterious, but powerful spiritual practice to really understand that suffering can be the thing that heals us. It is. And again, this might be the biggest stumbling block because we're moderns. We live in the modern world mm-hmm. and that is just not how the world thinks. The world thinks that you need the most comfortable lifestyle. You need um, the cushion bank account. And then once you've got the cushioned bank account, you probably need the nest egg and you probably need the extra savings for that thing that might happen that you have no idea of what that could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just layer upon layer of security that we That we try to make for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned COVID. We're living through this time where what does security even mean? The illusion, right, right, of security, the illusion of safety. Um, The freedom the church offers us, I think, is that we embrace suffering because it exists. The the lie is that we can eliminate it, really. The lie Mm -hmm. is that any comfort we could go after in this world will take suffering from our lives. And people live like that could be true and they kind of deceive them, you know, they can let themselves be deceived to it, but suffering is going to find you. I don't know a person on this earth. It's not really a choice that we yeah, have it's gonna whether happen. or not we get to get to experience it. Right. Mm-hmm. So what will we let it do to us? How will we let it change us? And God, I believe often, often well, always means suffering to make us holier, And that's a hard thing to accept, but I do think there's a freedom on the other side. In my book, the last chapter is actually on suffering and what the cross, you know, embodied faith through the, through the cross, through suffering. And I share some personal, um, family stories. My mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's several years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, through testing, I figured she has both copies of the gene that makes you more susceptible to Alzheimer's. And, um, shortly after we found that out, I got tested myself and found that I have both copies too, which makes wow. me 50 to 90% more likely to develop oh, Alzheimer's. Wow. So I went about found there's very encouraging research out there now. And so there's a lot of things that I'm doing um, lifestyle wise to help prevent. And there's very encouraging things to do that. However, <laughs> there was a freedom and the gift of just of walking through that suffering both with my mom, I can tell you the most beautiful things that have happened between her and my the way my dad cares for her have what without question been redeeming for both of them eternally. It's just to see the way he's loved her and cared for her. Um if you want to talk about I know we say this jokingly like we shave years off purgatory. I, I just can't when I see the way he's cared for her I see what God means to accomplish in purgatory if it doesn't get accomplished in this right. life, right? I yeah. see the love that he's grown into that maybe he never didn't have, mm-hmm. right? Or some of us, yeah. if we don't go through that suffering or that that having to give of ourselves for another person, we never have to build up that muscle of love right. for others. And right. I've been so blessed to see how he's loved my mom in this and what that means for her eternal soul as well as his. Um, and for me, like It is kind of a gift to be reminded of your own mortality, whenever that might be, maybe Mm -hmm. I'll live a lifestyle that helps prevent this disease. Maybe I won't, Mm -hmm. but there's sort of a freedom to being aware, made aware that life might, you're not going to pick the suffering that you get, you know, you're going to get something. And can you kind of give that back to the Lord and say, all right, I've seen how you've made Lord, I've seen how you've, you've taken this and turned this into holiness and beauty for these, these people. Right. And I would like you to do that for me. And we're just following the example of Christ on the cross. We're following the example of his, bless- of his dear mother, who is our mother, who had her own heart pierced by his suffering. So mm-hmm. I think we have two, the Catholic church leads us to Jesus and Mary here in this picture of any suffering you could imagine has already been experienced by these two people. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine the most suffering one person could go through for another. And then the mother, like, mother, you know, we're right. moms here. Can you imagine like oh. being the person who witnesses the person who goes through that? Right. It's all there in Jesus and Mary, right? We right. have this example of what the holiness and beauty and salvation of the world that can be witnessed when we, you know, when we, off, when we offer up this suffering.
0: Right. I like that. that you say that it's a choice because it is right. You're, you're talking about yeah. your dad and he's made a beautiful choice, um, to mm-hmm. embrace this. Right. But yeah. there are people who might just you know, spiral into anger and bitterness and, um, you know, desolation as a result of any form of suffering in your life. But God gives us that opportunity to choose. And while you were describing that, I was thinking, um, when you were talking about the freedom that we have, the freedom that it gives us, which sounds
1: mm-hmm.
0: not true, right? It sounds contradictory. Right. Like There's no freedom in suffering, but, um, right. it, it reminded me of, I, I recently reread, um, are you familiar with father Jacques Philippe?
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I recently was Which reading
0: um, Interior Freedom and that's like very much exactly what he's talking okay. about. Yeah. You don't get to choose whether you suffer or not. That is coming, right? But we do get yeah. to choose, I will choose this. I will not only accept it, I will not only endure it, uh-huh. I will choose it. Out of love for the Lord, out of out of yeah. wanting to embrace what, what God has planned for me and the good things that He wants to bring out as a result of this cross that I'm being asked to bear. That doesn't mean it's fun. It doesn't no. mean it comes easy for anybody. And um, you know, nobody's painting, you know, a glossy, pretty picture at, at the surface of mm-hmm. that, but at the core, what a beautiful teaching that is in our church, that mm-hmm. we have that opportunity to take something that is inevitable anyway that is so mm-hmm. ugly and so hard and turn it into something beautiful like that.
1: Yeah. And when you live that way and embrace that choice, you then get this picture into the real reality. You get to, you see the people who are cheering you on the saints. And whereas if you choose to not live in that reality, what a deficit you have, what an right. empty and loneliness, because it's happening to everyone. We're all, I mean, gosh, every day, like you can, we all experience pain and suffering. And so But if we open ourselves up to it, like you said, to what God wants to do in it, we do get that portal to that other reality, um, which is. I mean, it's like night and day to compare the two ways of living.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what a beautiful, what a beautiful opportunity to just kind of open that door a little bit. Yeah. And I'm I'm so glad, Jessica, that you've written this book. Again, the title of the book is Home in the Church, Living in Embodied Catholic Faith by Jessica Tomey. Jessica's been my guest here today. Um, Jessica, just last thing, maybe um, let people know where they can find out more about you, check out more about the book. Um, what have yeah. you got going on online?
1: Um, the best way to connect with me is go to my website, dot You can, um, get on my newsletter there very easily. Um, and I love to stay connected by email with people. I find that's the best way to connect with people. So if you want to connect with me, go on there, sign up for my, um, email newsletter. And I, you know, I kind of also post my book information online or podcast information. So that's really the best place to connect with me.
0: Great. Wonderful. We will be doing that. We will have your URL linked up in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. We've got more of the show coming up, but I want to say thank you. First of all, to you, Jessica, thanks for being a part of the Girlfriends podcast today.
1: Thank you, Danielle. God bless. And more of the
0: show, but first a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you are listening to the Girlfriends
1: podcast. Did you know that every single item in a Catholic church points us towards heaven? Make every visit to a Catholic church a powerful reminder of God's presence with a new book from Ascension, The Sacred That Surrounds Us by Andrea Zachman. The sacred that surrounds us awakens Catholics to the mystery of the seemingly ordinary items we see every week at Mass. It explains with clarity the symbolic realities and historical facts of each one. To order The Sacred That Surrounds Us, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon.
0: Welcome back. We're out of time, so I can't really share any listener feedback today, but I've been hearing from a few of you and um, I am saving up that feedback to share on future shows. Some of you are sending in some questions and some feedback on topics that we've recently taken up here on Girlfriends. I always love to hear from you. So if you have feedback for today's show or anything that we've shared here in recent episodes of the Girlfriends podcast, I would love to hear from you. Or if you have a question that you want me to potentially take up in this little segment at the end of each show, I would love to hear from you. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. I'm also Danielle Bean on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You know where to find me, no excuses. And I do want to thank you for being here today. It truly is so encouraging to me to know that we can connect in this way on the podcast every week. If you are listening, you have been prayed for and you are an important part of the Girlfriends community. I am so grateful that you are here. So until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation.